women feel grateful and relieved because they can do what they want. They can proceed with their careers, other aspirations. They don't have to sell with a man that they are not sure about. It's definitely freedom. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Welcome back, everyone. This is part two of our fertility preservation series on this podcast, and I've been looking forward to this conversation all day. If you've been following me on LinkedIn or Instagram for a while, you probably know that I had my eggs frozen last fall and learned throughout this process that at age 28, my fertility has unfortunately already declined. As you can imagine, those weren't exactly the kind of news I wanted to hear. But those of you who know me know that I don't really spend a lot of time on self-pity because that is not going to change anything about my situation or the situation of future generations of women. Instead, I like to leverage my own personal experiences, the good and the bad ones, as a source of motivation and strength to educate and promote systemic change for other women. And when I met today's guests for the first time and learned about their mission, I immediately knew that I wanted to be part of that journey. Anastasia Tymon and Anya Kern are the co-founders of Blooming Eve, an early-stage company that is working on making egg freezing more accessible and tailored to each patient's unique circumstances. I absolutely love what they're working on, which is why I'm absolutely thrilled to have joined Blooming Eve as an advisor and early investor, and I'm really looking forward to what I know will be an engaging conversation. Anya and Anastasia, I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we are we are super glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Of course. Well, look, the two of you, this podcast is all about helping women build wealth for themselves and other women. And because increasing women's visibility is absolutely critical when it comes to wealth building, I always like to start by asking my guests this question first. So doesn't matter who wants to go first, but who is a woman that you admire and why this can be a female founder, a doctor, investor, small business owner, activist, doesn't really matter. Oh my God, there are so many women powerhouses that I want to mention, but to name a few, uh, Serena Williams and mm. probably Sarah Blakely. Why? <laughs> because of their hard work, perseverance, greed, determination that ultimately brought them to the very top of their profession and business. But also they serve as an incredible inspiration and are constant supporters of other women on their way to success. So what is interesting actually about Sarah Blakely is that a lot in her story resonates with what we do in women. So she was pitching her idea to the industry that is largely owned by men so uh, men uh, basically owned the company and created the product that they don't use. So very same to the fertility in the U.S. That's Love a good that. one. Love that. Tough, tough yeah. to pull up on Anya, huh? Yeah, right? <laughs> I think for me, it's uh, been a while now, Brene Brown. I just love her work in uh, vulnerability and psychology and sociology. And 
it's awesome how she is coming from academia and she is uh, digesting her research in such a way that is approachable and understandable for everybody. And she basically elevates women and men as well, but primarily women on a whole different level. It's all about making yourself a little bit better and making your relationship to yourself a little bit better. In future, probably as a next turn of my career, I would love to get into psychology and sociology and standing of happiness overall. Um, but that's going to be after the successful exit from Blooming Eve. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a wonderful plan. No, definitely agree. Brene Brown, incredible. I love listening to her podcast. She brings in incredible guests as well. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because usually we're not used to having academics become celebrities. I feel like there's very few of them and she's just a great, great, great outlier there. She's just a powerhouse and has inspired so many people to, to show up as their most authentic selves. That's what I personally love the most about her. But okay, great start to this conversation. Ladies, before we dive in and obsess about fertility preservation, I'd love to spend some time talking about how you two met, because I think it's a great story and a testament to how meeting one person can just completely change the trajectory of your life. Who wants to start? I can start. And, you know, our story actually started last year when I had a startup idea in fertility, which is very similar to what we are doing right now. So I had a website and a deck, did customer research, but everything was moving kind of slowly. So I signed up for this event that was organized, I think, by the BC firm called Interplay. So when I was hoping to get some feedback from other founders and VCs about my idea, so Anaya was there and she was pitching her own idea. <laughs> Yeah, I remember being uh, in Las Vegas at the conference and I was actually sick and I didn't really want to go to that beach at all. And I was like, okay, powering through, I can do that. And uh, I remember Anastasia starting to talk about her idea and uh, I was like, I like her, I want to reach out. And the thing is that I, uh, at that moment, I wanted to exit from my previous uh, startup because uh, of the same reason that Anastasia was saying. It was moving very slowly, and I just understood that I need the support of another co-founder to do something in a more active and uh, in a more natural way of growth. And basically, uh, if you want to join somebody who will for sure be interested in solving for the, for the problem, it might be the best way that you're joining their idea that's why I was searching for somebody who has the idea and I can just lean into that. And basically Anastasia's idea was awesome. And uh, I reached out on LinkedIn and uh, it's a history from that. <laughs> Amazing. I love that so much. Isn't it crazy how you meet someone, they're a complete stranger and all of a sudden, I mean, the two of you talk all day, every day now, you know, and uh, you've become such an important part of each other's lives and inspire each other and make each other better. And I think that's just, just beautiful. And there are a couple of, of female co-founders out there that, you know, also have that very special bonds. So I always love hearing about these stories. So thank you so much for, for sharing. I think in a couple of years, we'll be able to look back on this experience and the early days and be like, oh, 
think back to the good old days, how everything started. So that's that's truly wonderful. Um, but okay, let's talk about Blooming Eve. So what I love about your company and why I was so excited to join you on your mission of making egg freezing more accessible as an advisor and early investor is the fact that you're one, creating this incredible safe space where women can feel comfortable asking questions and vulnerably share their own personal experiences. And two, you're actually solving for multiple pain points simultaneously. We all know that the financial barrier is a big one, at least in the United States, but there is so much more to it, like finding the right clinic, coping with all the emotions and learning a whole lot about women's reproductive health along the way, but also being able to openly talk ab about your experience with other women and to women who've actually been through that process themselves. Could you please explain to our listeners how exactly you are supporting egg freezing patients at every step of their egg freezing journey? Yeah, I'm happy to take that. So egg freezing is overly complicated and major issues are around results, cost, and experience. So first you need to find a clinic, a doctor, and I should say that results for egg freezing as well as for IVF vary a lot from doctor to doctor and from clinic to clinic. Uh, second, there is no price transparency. It's unclear how much it costs. Seriously, if you go to a website of almost any fertility center in the United States, there is no mentioning of costs at all. Same as if you call them to book an appointment. So also the price range is so wide. So costs with medication can vary from $6,000 to $27, all while not being covered by insurance. And last, communication and support provided by fertility centers is limited. You don't have your basic question answered when you need it. Usually it's a patient coordinator, not your doctor, mm. who should get back to you when you are asking something. And this is uh, happening through their web portal and they respond after a while. So we are trying to fix all of that. So we help to choose a clinic within your budget. We provide timely information before and along the process. So we have reproductive endocrinologists who review the answers for us. So it's clinically correct. And lastly, we have other women in our community who volunteer to share their experience with you. So you can get matched with other women who went through the process and who are going through the process. And this way, you never feel alone. I realize I'm switching up the order of my questions. But I would love to talk a little bit more about money because this is a podcast about helping women build wealth after all. And deciding to freeze your eggs is usually a big financial decision because Obviously, it is a significant investment, but on the flip side, potentially delaying pregnancy can also give women the ability to focus on their careers for longer and thereby continue to increase their income. And you were just mentioning it, Anastasia, with Blooming Eve, you, you, you help bring more transparency and you help your patients optimize costs. Would love for you to, to elaborate a little bit more on that. Why is there such a lack of transparency and why are there such big discrepancies Within the United States alone, you're, you're just mentioning it. You know, in one place, it can cost six grand. In other places, $30,000. I'm based in New York City. So obviously, I, I knew I had to expect the cost to, to be higher than other parts of the, of the country. But 
it was so expensive. So I would just love for, for the two of you to shed some light on this. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic. So egg freezing is essentially, and I consider it an investment or an insurance policy that you're buying so that in case you won't be able to get pregnant naturally, or you have to delay having kids, you still have a pretty good chance of having a baby. So in that sense, it is a financial decision as well. But as you mentioned, by increasing your income and moving with your career, right, you can also create a much better financial future for you and your family. In terms of costs, so there is a lot that goes into the cost of egg freezing. And New York City, by the way, is not the most costly city in the United States. Oh, really? Is it like San Francisco? Like, is that the Bay Area even more expensive? Well, it's not city by city. I would say it's more clinic, like from clinic to clinic. Oh, wow. So insurance, this is a totally different animal. Uh, as with everything in healthcare, so the bill that the medical organization is sending to you with a cash-paying patient is totally different than the bill that they are sending to your insurance company. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we had a patient who received a bill, and same as for the pharmacies, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, for fertility preservation, for egg freezing, you get the, the medication bill not from your fertility center, but from your pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So, we had a, a patient got a bill for $27 only for her medication. And she was like super shocked. Wow. But hopefully, I mean, it, it was good that it was covered by her insurance. But the thing is that the actual price, the cash pay price that they show to you is very much different. So because of the absence, I would say, of this transparency, they can do what they do with insurance companies. And I hope that it will get better when we have more information out. And right now, what we are trying to do to make it more optimal by collecting this information on the prices from different clinics and basically helping people to find the clinic which had the great balance of quality care and cost at the same time. Yeah. No, because in my my experience, oftentimes the doctors themselves don't even know what the total cost is going to be. You're mentioning for for the injections, so so the medications. That's the pharmacy, so that's a completely different process. In the United States, at least, like most clinics are run as for profit organizations, so it's not the doctor who determines the rate. It's it's the clinic or the hospital. So yeah, it I. That's just an issue that I have with the U.S. healthcare system in general because this doesn't necessarily just relate to egg freezing or fertility preservation, but the entire U.S. healthcare system. And as someone who who is from abroad, the three of us are. It, it was a bit of a shock to me when I when I moved to this country. Um, so I'm 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 so grateful that you're helping shed some light on this and increase transparency because it is much needed, especially for women for whom the financial barrier is a big one. Yes. Something to probably add here also, there are a lot of fertility clinics that are offering financing mm. as an option. And sometimes they have good options for financing, but I would probably, if you have a good credit and you have availability to take on a new credit card with 0% APR, that would be something probably interesting to consider. 
and uh, definitely check your fertility benefits. And sometimes even uh, if you, you don't have fertility benefits from your employer, you still can have uh, some of the parts of the procedure covered by insurance, mm-hmm. by your regular insurance. So definitely check some of the things. And we help women do that too on our side. Amazing. Yeah, because it, it oftentimes when you embark on this journey, like you feel so lonely and at least for me, luckily, I, I knew one one other female colleague of mine who had been through the process, so I could I could ask her a couple of questions, and she definitely reassured me. And without her, I don't even know if I would have even scheduled in a consultation, to be quite honest with you. So I, I do love the aspect of community as well and providing a space where women can ask other women what their experiences have been like because to your point every clinic is different every woman's body is different as we all know the prices that are being charged are different so having these couple of different data points from different women is 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 super super helpful speaking of different data points there are unfortunately a lot of misconceptions around fertility preservation out there and I already touched upon that in a previous episode where I interviewed one of the world's leading fertility specialists, Dr. Jamie Notman. I think you're familiar with her work as well. But because this just keeps coming up in conversations with women all the time, I just felt the need to bring this up again. And the two biggest misconceptions I frequently encounter are one, that egg freezing is a long and complicated process, and two, that women should wait until their mid to late 30s. And I actually saw you, Anastasia, talk about this on, on the Blooming Eve Instagram account recently as well. So would love to just do some myth busting with the two of you. What do you to wish more women knew about this process so that they would at least go in for a consultation with a fertility specialist? Yeah, thank you for bringing this up. Yes, indeed. There is a lot of mystery or better say misconceptions around egg phrasing. Some of the ones that I hear a lot, so a lot of women think that it can only cost $20,000 and there are no cheaper alternatives. Mm. So some of them don't even consider egg freezing at all because they think that it, it is too expensive. Uh, well, we have good news. <laughs> we found options that start with $6,000. So it's not always that expensive everything. So then second one is that a lot of women are afraid of medication injections and they think that the process is very painful. So first, a lot of us really tolerate medication well. And a lot of women mentioned that it's not as scary as they thought. Same with the retrieval. So this is actually a very simple surgery and you are not going to feel anything. So it takes like 10, 15 minutes. Regarding the age that you mentioned, so there are some cases when the ovarian reserve is depleting faster than usual. And in that case, there is a risk of diminished ovarian reserve. So small number of remaining eggs at the much younger age in your like 20s. And it's pretty easy to check at the first consultation. Just people need to go to get this fertility assessment with a doctor. We'll do blood work and ultrasound and measure your ovarian reserve and try to understand whether everything is working normally. So every case uh, is individual 
And for some girls, it's better to freeze early than for others. So in general, it's good to get tested. Yeah. I can share a few more. It's probably coming from more from my experience since I'm going to go through egg freezing process, which is exciting. And before meeting Anastasia, I didn't know much about anything related to egg freezing. And um, it was interesting to start exploring everything together. So uh, first thing is uh, like I'm very busy woman like a lot of us are and i thought it's gonna take like one month or so from your life like you were saying as well the same and it's just about 10 days the whole process from starting to take medication to retrieval you don't have to take any days off but on the retrieval day majority of the time and the other thing that i uh, didn't know is uh, that Basically, I thought if you freeze your eggs, you will have to use them further on in order to conceive. And a lot of women think also that whenever you are freezing eggs, you're like making yourself less fertile, which is definitely a misconception. Your ovarian reserve stays the same and you just take the eggs that would die in the end of your cycle anyhow. So that's the second one. And probably the third one is kind of silly, but I really didn't think about that. So I have my insurance from my husband and uh, I never looked into my fertility preservation benefits uh, and fertility benefits overall. So I always thought that egg freezing is something that is more like on the gynecology side, not fertility clinic side. And I didn't put two and two together. Fertility benefits means egg freezing. And it's very silly, but yeah, that was my misconception. I I don't think that's silly at all, Anya. I was not in the same boat, but in a similar boat where I didn't know for the longest time that my employer actually covered elective egg freezing. I I knew that they had benefits, but I thought that would only apply to to individuals who have been trying to conceive naturally and it was determined that they are infertile and so I didn't even think twice about it and I'd been with my company for almost four years at that point and it didn't even occur to me to look into it until just by coincidence I had this conversation with my colleague who who also decided to do it on an elective basis so I, I think if there's there's one thing to learn, I would really encourage all the women out there who have been thinking about it or who, based on this conversation, are now interested in learning more. If you're working for a company, check with your HR team if if this is something that is covered. Even if it's partially covered, it can save you a lot of money. And usually there is also resources that can help you. And for me personally, it was it was it was honestly life changing. And to my point earlier, and what what you also both just shared about the ovarian reserve, that's exactly what what happened to me, or what has been happening. Like uh, considering my age at age twenty eight, I have fewer eggs available than the average woman my age. And had I not known about this benefit, I probably wouldn't have even thought about it until my early mid thirties. And at that point, it could have already been been too late and i saw an, an another interesting stat on your on your instagram account and shout out to your instagram account like everyone should follow it it said that at age 35 40 percent of all women are already infertile which 
that's just mind blowing. I I mean, something that just comes up over and over when I talk to women, they say, oh, I just wish I had done this earlier because usually for someone who is in their mid or late 30s, it takes more rounds of egg freezing in order to to get to the number of eggs that you need for high chances of one success at a, at a life birth. So just overall, so frustrating that there are so many misconceptions around there. So I'm really grateful for, for you and your work because it is so needed. And especially these days, you know, for, for lots of women who want to delay pregnancy because of their careers, I think it's still important to know that there might be some biological limitations that they might not even be aware about. So to all the women out there, even if you're still in your 20s, I highly recommend you just go in at least for a consultation because you you never know. Like I hope that you're fertile, super fertile, and that you don't have to worry about it. But there are so many examples of women who have a very, very different experience. Speaking of career, for women specifically, fertility and career are inevitably intertwined. And I do know countless women who are in their late 20s and early 30s who are definitely feeling the pressure of their biological clock ticking, especially when they're not in a serious relationship. Being confronted with the realities of biological limitations impacting a woman's career trajectory is an emotionally burden that cis men will unfortunately never be able to fully understand because no matter how privileged an individual woman is, motherhood simply forces her to adjust her priorities and in very rare cases does a male partner in a heterosexual relationship hold her equal weight. And for very career-driven women, it's almost as if that invisible timeline that we've created for ourselves in our head that is dictated by biology is is constantly looming above us like a dark cloud. And while my own fertility preservation journey has been a bit of a roller coaster, it's simultaneously also one of the most empowering things I've ever done for myself personally, because I bought myself more time. So when you to talk to women and former patients who've been through the egg freezing process, what is it that you hear from them about the emotional, psychological, and professional impact that having access to fertility preservation has had on them? Yeah, that that's a very that's a very strong argument. Yes, yeah, so egg freezing is indeed very, very much empowering, and that I think one of the reasons why we're doing that. So I was in private equity before most of my life I was appointed, before switching to healthcare. And as you know, this is a very tough environment for women in general. So they are held to a much higher standard than most men professionally because of like lonely stereotypes and judgments. But also, as you mentioned, there is this disbalance between a desire to progress in your career and be efficient and uh, have some advancement in your career and also invest in your relationships and potentially building your family. So, and we are not alone. This is similar across the board in all the industries. So, X freezing really allows you to take control and plan for the future. So, it takes some pressure away 
And that's what I hear most of the time. Women feel grateful and relieved because they can do what they want. They can proceed with their careers, other aspirations. They don't have to sell with a man that they are not sure about. It's definitely freedom that you are getting. And that's why I feel very strongly about what we are doing. Yeah. Taking off pressure, I think it's the key for sure. I can share a little bit of my journey, how through like deciding to do egg freezing. And uh, basically I'm in a very happy relationship. Uh, we've been together like for seven years now. But the thing is that I started to realize that my partner doesn't really get excited about having kids of uh, his own. So I started to look at myself and uh, try to understand what do I want? Because previously I would always base my desire to have kids off my partners previously. And I didn't really ask myself, what do I want? And after some soul digging, I realized that first thing, I definitely know that I don't want to have kids anytime in next five years. And I'm 32 now. So it brings me over the 35-year-old barrier. And the second thing that I realized that I do want to adopt kids in future, which probably will take place first before me getting pregnant if I ever decide so. So it's basically, I didn't want to get into the social pressure of like, I need to have kids now or my biological clock to decide that I am having kids now or like in a few years. And yeah, I mean, egg freezing is an amazing science and why not to utilize it? I think that's such a valuable perspective so thank you so much for sharing that Anya and for being so vulnerable because you know I think we default to thinking oh I'm a single woman I don't have a man yet if you're you're hetero right so let me freeze my eggs just to give myself also more time to find a partner right and similar to you I am I'm in a very happy long-term relationship and I've decided to do that completely on my own now, my partner was so kind to help me with the injections, but that was pretty much it. I did it completely independent of him. And I just love that you made that decision for yourself because I'm, I'm sure it wasn't an easy one, especially when, you're, when your partner wasn't as vocal about it. And it's just so easy for men to just delay that decision because their biological clock is not ticking the same way it is for, for us women. They do have more time. They can become fathers at age 50, 60, 70, right? But we as women simply don't have that, that luxury. So I really like admire you for making that decision. And sounds like as if you might have more of an unconventional family composition, which is great, like thinking about adoption and how potentially using your eggs later on if you choose to do so. Because I'm sure there are other women out there who feel like, oh, but I don't really fit in that stereotypical, you know, circumstance where I, I don't have a partner or maybe I'm not even sure if I ever want to have children. I know so many women, especially my age in their 20s, they're like, I don't even know if I want to have children. And like, look, I respect that. I, I don't think every single person or every single woman should have children 
But I also know based on my own personal experience that priorities can change over time. And I'd hate for, for my girlfriends who are now very adamant about not wanting to have children, like let's say they changed their mind at age like 38, 39. And at that point, it might already be too late for them to, to conceive naturally, right? So I'd rather have them invest their time, energy, and money now to give themselves more options later on in life. And they might still have the same, same opinion later on in their late 30s or early 40s, and that's completely fine, but at least they have a choice then. Ladies, let's pivot because I definitely want to learn more about your experience as early stage female founders. At the time of this recording, I know you're hoping to receive some positive news from a well-known accelerator program, so fingers crossed here. And I believe the timing is absolutely right as conversations around fertility preservation are becoming part of the zeitgeist and more and more companies are luckily starting to offer fertility benefits. But I'm just so curious to learn from the two of you what your experience in talking to potential investors and venture capitalists has been like to date, because we all know that raising money is a huge challenge for female founders with only about 2% of all VC money going to women-founded startups. Yeah, raising money right now is hard, I feel like, in general, because of the market conditions. So the valuations are down, and investors, I, I think, in general, are more skeptical and looking for more traction, better economics, everything figured out already, which is a big challenge for early stage company. We actually had a pretty good response rate from our outreach to investors. So we had a lot of interviews with investors in really well-known ones. And most of them, even those who have actually history of pre-seed investments, don't want to bet on the company that is so early. And they all ask for more traction. So I would say it's almost impossible for women founders to raise money just with an idea. And it's, yeah, it's terrible because it has been always possible for men somehow. Like, look at Adam Newman. I didn't what? want this name to be on my podcast at all. <laughs> and so I'm so sorry. It. <laughs> but no, sorry, keep going. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in order to raise uh, off an idea, maybe you need to start going like uh, at the golf club every weekend and lower your voice like Serrano's <laughs> founder. I don't know. Maybe there are some sort of tricks still, but definitely they're not female centric. And what uh, probably helped us a lot uh, to get the initial traction is to stay focused on our niche which is digital health and women health. And uh, I think that's why it was, we at least didn't have to explain ourselves that this is the opportunity, it's big, and those are potential solutions. So uh, I think that's why we got pretty good response on the PC side so mm -hmm. far. I love hearing that you've had generally good responses because that's certainly not always the case. But yeah, to your point, like... So many conversations about money and investing are happening behind closed doors, on the golf course. And I think it's just time for, for this industry to be completely revamped. Luckily, there are more and more 
female VCs and female investors in the space. And there is an increasing number of, of VC funds that are specifically focusing on investing in female founders. But even female VCs and investors are biased against women and they tend to ask women questions that are more prevention focused versus asking men questions that are more focused on on gains so it feels like as if female founders always have to justify themselves and talk more about risk mitigating as opposed to growth potential it was an interesting analysis done by a scientist and researcher and i read about it in harvard business review i think her name was dana kunze and anyway, I, I digress, but super, super interesting topic. So that's why I'm just like so curious to to learn what your experience has been like, because I think there are so many nuances to this and a lot of unconscious bias that is really difficult to also call out. And but I wish you the best of luck. I think you have such an incredible idea. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have decided to join you on, on this mission. And I really hope that despite the current macroeconomic conditions that you'll be able to to thrive and really scale your mission so that more women in this country will have access to to your services and to your platform. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Excited to have you on the board too. Oh, thank you, Anya. I appreciate yeah. that. So thrilled to have you. Thank you. Oh, so, so flattering, so kind. See, everyone out there, women supporting women, it's magic and we just need more of that. But Anya Anastasia, we're coming up on time, um, but I have one final question for you. If I gave each of you $1 million to invest in either a company or a cause that would somehow benefit women, curious to learn where would you invest that $1 million? <laughs> you can say your own startup. That's totally oh, fine, by the way. How did you sense it that we are going to say Boomini? <laughs> They're probably investable. <laughs> I mean, we are bootstrapping now. So we are investing in ourselves for sure. And I would bet more and more money as that it's going to work. Maybe it's like a drug addict person who just <laughs> very much into the idea of everything. But it seems like everybody around starting to understand that too. And we have a very good wave of connecting to the customers and to the clinics. And... Um, getting this momentum and uh, product market feed. So uh, definitely investable. But overall, outside of that, probably uh, there are other things that we will be doing for Blooming Eve outside of egg freezing. Mm -hmm. We do want to focus on women's health in general. And uh, for me, as I mentioned before, uh, um, it is important to focus also on an adoption as an option. For women, so a lot of fertility benefits nowadays that the employers are given is focused on that. But the problem there is still that it's so hard to adapt. It's much harder than get pregnant often. So it's like if we were able to get into this field and uh, maybe either to do it ourselves or even acquire a company that... Mm -hmm does some sort of just like making the process easier by everybody. I would love to see that for sure. That's yeah, great. I want to second that. As a CEO, I cannot think of anything first. <laughs> 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 
So yes, but yeah, jokes aside, I think that a lot of money should go to women founders mm-hmm. because this is power. And like having my co-founder, it's so great. It's such a power. And I hope that the moment will come when everyone in the investor world will understand that, that it actually can bring pretty good return on your investment. The data shows that that female founders have a higher return of investments. The numbers already support this. So I think it really comes down to the patriarchy and men not wanting to give up power and unconscious bias. And they always favoring people who look and sound like them. If it was only about the data and about the money, then this would already be solved because we have the data supporting that it is a financially smart decision to invest in female founders. But I do think that the sentiment is slowly changing. Unfortunately, not not fast enough, but that's why it's so important for us women to to stick together and provide female founders like yourselves a stage and a forum where you can share your message and your mission and the hard work. So Thank you so much for being on here with me today. Before we close off, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? I would say invest in your health and plan for your future. Consider crazy as well as an investment. Mm -hmm. And Blooming Eve here to help if you need so. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anastasia and Anya from Blooming Eve. This was such a wonderful conversation and Looking forward to our audience members being able to learn more about Blooming Eve and potentially becoming future patients themselves. Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency. It helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. If you already left a review, first of all, thank you. But why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich.